Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Exodus. As always, I just want to continue to thank all of you who are taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to Seeds of Truth Radio. As I announced last week, I am in my last month. The whole Craft family is uh, packing their bags and heading to Ohio, which means that uh, Seeds of Truth will no longer be on air at the end of March, right, at the end of March. So we are in our last month. We've been at this for over 13 years, and uh, while it's a bit sad, I am excited to still yet have this last month with you, Um, especially, again, those who are tuning in by way of podcast, those who are listening in the countries of Mexico, Canada, Argentina, Brazil, Chile. I see, I continue to see listeners in Western Europe. France, Italy, Spain, uh, Germany, Portugal. I see all of you also, those listening in India, uh, China, those listening in Africa. All right, (laughs) all of that being said, we have work to do because as I have been working through the book of Exodus, more or less verse by verse, we are now going to have to take some broader brush strokes to be able to finish the book of Exodus. So I have four weeks left with you. This evening, as we are in chapter 19, I'm going to get through chapter 19 and 20. In chapters 19, uh, well, really, 2 and through 24, we have Israel arriving at the base of Mount Sinai, huh? As we do, we have the people witnessing to God's power, receiving His commandments, and accepting the terms of His covenant with regard to the sacrificial ceremonies. And In chapters 21 to 24, there's a lot of laws there, a lot of details to what this looks like. Essentially, in these six chapters, you have Moses going up and down the mountain as chief mediator between God and man. For our part this evening, we are going to touch upon what happens in chapters 19 and 20 with a mind's eye towards what happens in in 21 uh, through 24. But again, our focus will be. 19 and 20 this evening. So with that, if you have your Bibles out, open those up to chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the sons of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So how important is that? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. My friends, in the Old Testament, the vocation of the priest was to be formed in holiness and to be mediators between God and man, bringing the world closer to God. Certainly, this done in the sacrificial dimension. This whole vocation is caught up in Israel's firstborn status, which goes all the way back to who? But Adam himself, right? Who was the firstborn among men. Does Adam have something to do with the Old Testament priesthood? Everything. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. What did God say to Adam there? But in the Garden of Eden, which, oh, by the way, really probably better translates as sanctuary. The old sanctuary was, yes, the Garden of Eden, a paradise, but sanctuary no less. Adam there was called to, in verse 13, we read Genesis 2, verse 13, he was called to guard and keep, to guard and keep these Hebrew words that had priestly connotation in the Old Testament, to till and keep, right? To till and to keep. So, the call to become a priestly nation goes all the way back to Adam himself, who was the first high priest. Certainly, we see the status of becoming a kingdom of priests come into view with the great covenant with David, who is quite literally... As we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17, a royal king ruling over a kingdom, and one who was a what? Priest. This, of course, my friends, is all poured into the New Testament in Christ, who as high priest and king is reigning over heaven and earth, in and through his church he came to establish. Which is to say, the vocation of Israel as God's chosen people, is finally realized in Christ, whose grace enables the church to participate in his royal and priestly mission to the world. All right, just skipping down here a little bit, going down to verse 16 in chapter 19, we have God speaking to Moses on the mountain, what is otherwise known as the theophany of Moses. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out upon them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. 
And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. All right, again here you have this great theophany, which is to say, my friends, up on Mount Sinai, when God appears to Moses, he appears to him as one who desires to encounter him on the most intimate level. Now, what's fascinating about this passage, as I was mulling over this text, is the correlation with what? But another great quaking, where there is a lot of fire, <laughs> the Lord descending upon people in fire. What am I talking about? But the upper room and the gift of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Why is this significant? Well, my friends, on Mount Sinai, God reveals himself to Moses. And what we are made to see, if we were to draw a parallel between this event and what takes place in the upper room, that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift that gives us access to see God in a whole new way. Huh? God's presence like that on Mount Sinai, is revealed in the Holy Spirit. Something about fire. Once I read that word fire in verse 18, I couldn't help but think of what took place in the upper room. And this is really how we should interpret sacred scripture. Anytime you're reading the Old Testament and there's an image, a sign, a word that has a direct corollary to the New Testament, stop. Allow that word that is a sign, symbol, become like a rumble strip. You know those rumble strips that, <laughs> that you hit before you get to a toll bridge? Those rumble strips tell you to slow down. Let those words become like rumble strips, huh? Where we hit the pause button and, and go back into the New Testament to see if there's a connection there. And no doubt, my friends, what is taking place here on Mount Sinai is very much tied to what takes place in the upper room at Pentecost, in the giving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. In both occasions, it is about seeing God. And this should excite us because we have all received the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to see what we ought to see, which is the revelation of God himself. Okay? All right, so in chapter 20 now, we have reached that point where we get to talk about the Ten Commandments. And here, I want to draw our attention to some words from the great St. John Paul II. My dear friends, the Ten Commandments are not some capricious set of injunctions, but basic moral rules that emerge from taking the human thirst for goodness and the human desire for happiness seriously. Huh? When John Paul II made his Mount Sinai pilgrimage during the great Jubilee year of 2000, he underscored the truth that, that the Ten Commandments were not the peremptory moral decrees of some otherworldly divinity. No, 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 no. Rather, 
a liberating code intended to keep all of us from falling into the habits of slaves. What does the Pope say? Well, again, going back to his own words, the great Jubilee year of 2000, he says, The encounter of God and Moses on this mountain enshrines at the heart of our religion the mystery of liberating obedience. Liberating obedience. He goes on to say, The Ten Commandments are not the arbitrary imposition of a tyrannical Lord. They were written in stone, but before that they were written on the human heart as the universal moral law. They save man from the destructive force of egoism, hatred, and falsehood. They point out the false gods that draw him into slavery, the love of self to the exclusion of God, the greed for power and pleasure that degrades our human dignity and that of our neighbor. Powerful words from St. John Paul the Great. You see, the liberation promised, according to JP2, by these rules that bind and free are at the same time what we would call an eternal liberation. huh? John Paul II continues, If we turn from false idols and, and follow the God who sets his people free and remains always with them, then, and I love this, we shall emerge like Moses after 40 days on the mountain, shining with glory, ablaze with the light of God. So for the Christian, my friends, John Paul II concludes, the Ten Commandments are heard and lived through our encounter with Jesus Christ. The reason why I wanted to focus in on that theophany, where God reveals himself to Moses, is to talk about the importance of encounter. Huh? Moses encountered God on a much deeper level, and this is what we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to encounter someone and, and talk about, you know, their color hair, what they were wearing, so on and so forth. It's something altogether different to get to know them on a much more personal, intimate level. And this is what God desires, you see. This is what God desires. So again, for John Paul II, the Ten Commandments are heard and lived through an encounter with Christ. You see, my friends, Jesus Christ delivers us into true freedom. Christ, too, in so many ways, binds and frees at the same time. But his is a binding that leads to the fullness of liberation. Those who are, are bound to Christ and bound by Christ know that they are bound not externally by a multitude of prescriptions, but internally by the love which has taken hold in the deepest recesses of the heart. That's John Paul II. So John Paul II also says, then the Ten Commandments are the law of freedom, the freedom to love, to choose what is good in every situation. My friends, when God revealed himself and his law to Moses, he revealed to human beings the truth about the human condition. The Ten Commandments for JP2 stand at the very heart of the truth about man and his destiny. 
What does that mean for you and I? Well, to be faithful to the Ten Commandments, to be faithful to the God who wrote them in our hearts and and on the tablets of the law, is being faithful to ourselves, being faithful to our true nature and to our deepest and irrepressible aspirations. No one really wants to be a slave, which is life at the whim of an arbitrary outside authority. Of course not. However, as much as we dislike the idea of slavery, we all have inclinations that can enslave us. Hmm? To live freely, my friends, means to rid ourselves of the habits of slaves, just as the people of Israel were called to do at Mount Sinai. To worship rightly, to to honor parents and the sanctity of life, to deal honestly and justly with others, these are the virtues of freedom. The habits of free men, the habits of free women. That is why God enjoined them in the Ten Commandments to bind us in order to liberate us for goodness and for love. You know, we are so busy asking ourselves the question, how far I can go, that we've stopped asking the question of the rich young man, what should I do to inherit eternal life? We have to shift from what I shouldn't do to what I ought to do. In other words, it is not a question of exercising our free will to feel better about ourselves or or even do things that feel good, but making choices that will bring us eternal life. And no, life is not heaven all the way to hell or hell all the way to heaven. It is heaven all the way to heaven as we share in the laws of God, growing in the wisdom of the Father, right? Why do we have laws? Hmm? Why do we have laws? Why do we have stoplights? Why do we have boundaries? Why do we have rumble strips? Hmm. Order. Order, right? For the sake of the good. But that order, for the sake of the good, is ordered (laughs) to something higher, which is God himself. Law is relationship, and relationship is about self-gift. What did Jesus say to the rich young man? Sell all that you have, and then... Come follow me. Sell all that you have and then come follow me. Morality, my friends, is not something, oh, how could we say this, added on to real life from the outside. But fundamentally, the objective choosing of one thing over another thing for the sake, again, of order and the good. But all of this only makes sense if we understand that law is about relationship. You've heard me talk about this before, right? The word law comes from the Hebrew Hebrew word yarach. It's actually an archery term, which speaks to hitting the bullseye, right? So if you live according to the law of God, you're hitting bullseye. But what is bullseye? Well, the law of God, what did JP2 say? Comes from the heart of God. So to live according to the law of God is to to live in the heart of God. Again, fundamentally relationship. This is why, oh, by the way, when St. Paul, talking about sin, employs this Greek term hamartia, it's the Greek term that speaks to sin or, or disobedience. It best translates as 
to miss the mark. Why would St. Paul, formerly Saul, prized pupil of Rabbi Gamaliel, who understood the Old Testament so well, employ that term? Well, he understood the law of the Old Covenant. That to sin is to live outside the law of God, or more specifically, to quote-unquote miss the mark, right? To miss the mark. So instead of striking bullseye by living according to the law of God, when you sin, when you don't live according to the law of God, you miss the mark. Laws about relationship. All right. With these last minutes, I wanted to touch upon the structure of the Ten Commandments. We're not going to have enough time to, to go through all of these individually, per se. But I did want to speak to the structure because it's very important. In the structure of the Ten Commandments, you have essentially the true two precepts of charity. Love of God in the first three commandments and love of neighbor in the last seven commandments. This certainly follows the pattern of the two great commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Sequence is very important, my friends. You cannot love neighbor if you have not first loved God. And yeah, can you love God without loving neighbor? No, but more importantly, you cannot love neighbor without first loving God, right? I think it was... uh, Bishop Barron, who you may have heard already talk about this point this week, him asking, can you love God without loving neighbor? And the answer to that question is emphatically, no, but here's the thing. You cannot love neighbor without loving God first. Why? Because to love God first is to have first allowed God to love you, right? St. Francis de Sales takes these two precepts of charity, of love, and he says, let's call them faces, and I'm paraphrasing now. Let's call these faces of love. And he inverts the first one. You know, he says, okay, we could talk about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but what we first have to understand is that part of loving God is allowing God to love us, right? To first open our hearts to allow his love, his grace, his goodness, his charity, his love to spill into our hearts. He calls this affective love. Affective love. And then, after God's very life and gratuity has affected us, we can then effectively love better. Right? So he, he has these two faces of love. Affective love and effective love. So, precepts become faces. What did we say earlier about the importance of encounter, right? To speak to love having a face over and above it being a precept, I I think speaks more explicitly to this language of encounter. I don't know, this was just something that struck me on a more personal level. Speaking of personal. Isn't this what God's law is all about, right? God's law is always personal. 
And because it's always personal and God is love, then that means his law is always loving, right? His law is always loving. There is not an iota of self-interestedness in God. Because God's law is always personal, it is always loving. What does all of this mean? If you want to be better about not stealing, about not lying, and the rest of the laws that speak to our relationship with neighbor, then first keep the holy Sabbath. Then first love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. First, make sure you have no graven idols or images put before God. This is very, very important. This truth cannot be negotiated because existentially you cannot give what you do not have. In the opening, I talked about this being my final month with you on Seeds of Truth Radio because the whole Kraft family is moving to the state of Ohio. If you were to ask me what is the one thing you've talked about most, I would probably say it has something to do with the first beatitude. And so it is fitting as we talk about the importance of sequence as it relates to the law of God. I close this evening talking about the first beatitude. Because in all of the beatitudes, there was and is a first beatitude. And not only do all the Beatitudes rest on the first Beatitude, but remember the Beatitudes kickstart, jumpstart the whole Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And that first Beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The one verse that the whole law of the New Covenant rests upon. The one verse that the whole moral code of the New Testament rests upon. Why? Because in that single verse, Jesus is saying to you, Jesus is saying to me, blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. It is a state of being, a disposition, an interior want. This is what the whole moral code rests upon. That we might be caught up in God in all of our choosing and decision-making. If you are longing for God in that way, then no doubt you have placed the first three commandments at the heart of your life and that first great commandment at your feet. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.